It's time for Striking Fury with Philly and Panda. Everybody's dead, everybody What's going on, Fury Faithful? Welcome back. This is episode two of Striking Fury with Philly and the Panda, the Ontario Fury podcast. I am one half of your husband and wife team that is out here preaching the Ontario Fury dream. The self-proclaimed beast from the East, I am Christian Philly Philemon. And with me to my right, my beautiful partner on this podcast and in the game of life, Amanda the Panda Filament. What's going on, love? Nothing. Just excited to bring some fun little interview to all of you this evening. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, episode two. Can't believe it. We're already there. Already there. <laughs> you know, I was trying to find some like really cool like words to like give you an intro, like a fun <laughs> rhyming scheme, but there aren't many words that rhyme with panda. I mean, your nickname is panda because it just rhymes with Amanda. It's There's no rhyme or reason. Maybe we could start calling you Propaganda Panda, or maybe create a segment called Propaganda Panda. Who knows? Anyway. Probably not going to do that. Fine, maybe not. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the first episode of Striking Fury. On that show, we took a deep dive into the history of indoor soccer and the MASL. We spoke about the origins of the Fury, and we even talked about some of the many club legends that have been around during the Fury's tenure. Now, as the official podcast of the Ontario Fury, we felt that it was only right to have this special guest on our show. He is a graduate of Rancho Cucamonga High. Go Cougars. He played college soccer at Azusa Pacific and then transferred to Cal State San Bernardino. During college, he earned All-American honors, first team All-Far West, All-GSAC and CCAA All-Conference honors. After college, he even played in the 2002-2003 season for the Utah Blitz of the USL Pro Select League. Yeah, clearly a winner on the pitch. He then chose the path of being a footballing molder of minds. We are all very lucky he chose this route. Fury fanatics and Fury faithful everywhere, we are so excited to have as our guest today, your Ontario Fury head coach, Jimmy Nordberg. Welcome to Striking Fury, Jimmy. Thank you guys for having me on. It's a pleasure. Excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you too. I was looking to unearth some more fun facts about you, Jimmy. I was looking all over the Intima webs. I was wondering if maybe we'd find some stat about you being a world-class ping pong player. I don't know, but maybe we could dig some of that info out of you. <laughs> you know, one of my things that I love to rub into my buddies, so I grew up playing with Nick Ramondo of the Real, who's the keeper of the GOAT in the MLS, and Carlos Bocanegra who is our U.S. national team captain. And we played high school soccer against one another, and it was a big rivalry because Carlos played at Altaloma. Nick played at Montclair. So we had this rivalry going. And in 97, our senior year, MVP of the league was none other than yours, and that was me. <laughs> well, I always rub it in, and they got a little bit more on me with their honors. But uh, <laughs> I still That's hold over awesome. their heads. 
Yeah. Well, Jimmy, in all seriousness, it's an honor to have you on the show, especially at this stage of infancy for us. Uh, we were lucky to have met you and the enthusiasm you had when we all met at Rowdy's Brewing Company. Shout out Rowdy's Brewing in Rancho Cucamonga. If you're thirsty, you can quench that at 10002 6th Street in beautiful Rancho Cucamonga. I loved our convo then, and I know we're going to love it even more now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you with the plugs. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the interview, Jimmy, it's pandemic pandemonium once again all over the world. How have you been throughout the course of this pandemic and what have you been doing to keep yourself sane? Yeah. Have you picked up on any fun or new hobbies, projects, anything like that? Yeah. It's called uh, fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I have uh, three little, little ones. Uh, my son is eight. My daughter is five and my youngest son is three. So it's been um, nice to be able to hang out with them and engage with them on different things. And, and I'm trying to get through this homeschooling thing. Um, my wife is terrific with dealing with that. But um, in this crazy world of soccer where I'm constantly going from Fury to youth games and Fury and youth games and traveling, I don't really get to do a lot of stuff with my family. So it's been nice to be here on the day-to-day -day stuff and engaging with them and helping them through stuff and just being present as much as I possibly can. So that's been exciting for me, to be honest. Awesome, awesome. So, Jimmy, now let's get into this interview hardcore. What we're going to do today is we're going to get to know you. We want yeah. the Fury faithful to get to know their head coach. <laughs> Talk okay. to us about life growing up in the Inland Empire. It was great. Um, you know, it's a lot different than it, than it is now because when I moved out here in like 83, there was a Miller's outpost and Albertsons and a Noggles. <laughs> uh, not too many people you probably even know what a Noggles is anymore. Um, so there was nothing really here. And, uh, um, we had a little soccer team that we kind of started with and, and, and it was a really small niche group. And then I grew up playing for the Arsenal soccer club and that's where I played with Nick and Carlos and some other pretty good players, and we had a real tight bond, and we're still friends to this day. My whole team, we still talk. Um, we actually went out to Nick's final final game. Yeah, it was awesome. So that part of it was good because it was a, a, a family. You know, there was three schools in the area with Rancho and, and, and Etiwanda and Altaloma, and so it was awesome to be able to have the rivalries and all our buddies together. And we graduated together, went to college and we still keep in touch. And, and the athletes that we were able to put out were terrific. I mean, we played against Landon Donovan because he's from Redlands. Um, he's a couple of years younger. Um, Chad Marshall, Danny Califf, some of these other guys that are big time MLS guys came through the ranks in this area. Um, even John Thorrington grew up in the Orange County area and played at Pats who played against us. Um, Stevie Trundolo at Nomads was down south against us. So it was cool to see where these guys went and us all sticking together. Um, and back when I was playing, we played different sports. So in high school, I played basketball also. So I would go to the varsity soccer game at 3 o'clock, play that, and then go shower, change, and at 7.30 play the varsity basketball game. Hmm. <laughs> Nowadays, that doesn't happen. Um, and then I played – Baseball as well. So I was a three-sport athlete that kind of did everything. Um, and I believe that helped me in my soccer career going forward. Yeah, I was never the best player. I was a good athlete. And I was smart enough to know I'll win the ball and give it to number 10. 
<laughs> I love that. Uh, the way you speak about growing up in the Inland Empire and your uh, high school playing experience reminds me a lot of me growing up in the Midwest. I mean, same thing. You know, we were all very close. We all played sports together. I played three, four, five. I played as many sports as they would let me play where, you know, they didn't conflict. And I, I loved it. I mean, you developed so many different skills by playing different sports. And uh, you're probably correct. And, you know, what makes you a better athlete once you focus all of those skills onto one sport? So super cool. Yeah. Uh, who are some of your biggest influences or idols or people that you try to model your game after? When I was playing or coaching? Playing. Well, it was really a different time because I couldn't even watch soccer on TV when I was growing up. Um, we could watch the EPL highlights and stuff like that. So, you know, growing up as a defender, my coach when I was a kid was Clay Coyman. So Clay Coyman coached me for a short period of time. And I really looked up to him because he was on the national team, captain Cruz Azul in Mexico, which at that time for an American, the captain of the Mexican team was crazy. So I would think he's somebody I looked up to. Um, we got to watch him play at the first indoor game I ever saw with the LA Salsa. And they were big time back then. So I would say he was one that I looked up to as a player but I, that I tried to model my game after. And I was pretty similar because I was kind of a thug. Um, I, I was never known for my great technical ability. So, so like a Sergio Ramos kind of a thug, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't guess never be in that sentence, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kind of know the answer to this already because we had this conversation at Rowdy's, but you and Panda have this in common. I'm kind of outnumbered based on this, but tell the Fury faithful who your favorite Premier League team is and how that even came to be. It's Arsenal. It's Arsenal. They're not only my favorite Premier League team, but they're my favorite team in the world. Uh, Ooh, so I like that. I think it comes from playing for Arsenal. So the way it all started was Carlos Bocanegra was my best friend growing up, and his brother Diego Bocanegra was the 75, and we were the 79s. So we always played against them, or we would always worship them. And so wearing the Arsenal badge meant a lot in our community to being able to be on that team. And so I, that's just a team I started following since a young age. Um, so a lot of that credit probably goes to Diego, who is the University of Houston women's head, head coach now, and he's done pretty good for himself. And he's actually working with the Dash on the uh, women's league. Oh, super cool. Yeah, they just rebranded and did a lot of really cool things down in Houston. So yeah. super, uh, super happy to see that. But you know what? Let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you left Rancho, took your footballing boots with you to Azusa Pacific. Can you talk to us a little bit about your time there? Man, what an experience. Um, <laughs> didn't really know what I was walking into at Azusa. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I grew up in a family that didn't have the financial means to get me there. So luckily, I was able to gain a scholarship. And basically, Azusa Pacific was the first one to offer me a scholarship. So later, Ziggy Schmidt came in and offered me an opportunity at UCLA. But I was already committed to Azusa. So I had to um, stick to my word because that's the way I was raised. And I went to Azusa. And I got to play with probably one of the best players I ever played with in my life. And it was Carlos Ochoa oh. playing for the men's national team for Mexico. 
and he was unbelievable. So it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I walked in as a freshman thinking that I was the man <laughs> because our, our Arsenal team was the best in the country. We were very good. And then I come in here, and now I'm the low man on the totem pole. So coming in the first practice, and, and I see Carlos with the ball, Ochoa, and he's running around crazy. And I'm like, wow, this is something completely different. So um, I was able to start my freshman year at left defender, left back. And I never went to the left side of the field in my club career because Carlos Bocanegra was over there. No need for me to go to the left side. So I couldn't even barely walk on my left foot, much less kick a ball. So the coach told me, you want to play, you're going to have to play left, left back. So I worked all summer, all training camp on my left foot. I was able to earn a starting spot. Um, we were number four in the nation, went to the playoffs, ended up losing to a team from Alabama. Uh, I can't think of the name right now. It escapes me. But they beat us like 5-2, and I had no business being in that game because they were so much better. And I've never seen the ball move so fast in my life. So that was a great experience for me. Um, and then after that, I ended up transferring to San Bernardino. Um, went over there, and Christian was the women's coach at Azusa, and then he got the head coaching job at San Bernardino, and that kind of helped everything moving over there. So it was a great move for me. I became a captain on that team and got some pretty good awards. Mm -hmm. After junior year, I said, you know, I think it's time for me to try to see if I could play pro. Um, so I went – I started actually going with the Chicago Fire, went out there, had a – cup of coffee the coffee <laughs> never got cold and uh ended up at salt lake city and uh played there and that's where they ended up turning into real so i had a great time there what a city great place enjoyed the, the team enjoyed everything there but i came to a point where i was 23 24 years old and figured out i probably wasn't good enough to make a lot of money playing so i got into coaching and that's kind of where everything went. So, so you said you played pro. You went to Salt Lake City with the Blitz, a team founded by Chris Agnello, and a team that had success during its short tenure. If I'm not mistaken, the year you were there, you guys finished first and made it to the semifinals. What was life like yeah. living in Utah and playing in the USL? Loved it. Loved it. I thought it was terrific. Came in, one of my college buddies from Azusa Pacific, Matt Evans, was also there. Um, Junior Gonzalez, who is the Galaxy 2 head coach, played with me there, um, made some great friends. And I'll tell you what, we were – the show was the Jazz and us. So we were getting a lot of fans. The city got behind us, and it was a great place to play. So I loved our time there. I loved the soccer. I loved the guys on the team. I loved the level of play. I really enjoyed it. Sounds like it. So let's switch gears for just a minute. You kind of touched on it just briefly, but you've been involved in coaching on a variety of levels and in many ways. Can you walk us through the first steps of your coaching career and tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so my first coaching job I got while I was playing soccer at Cal State San Bernardino. Diego Bocanegra asked me if I could be his assistant coach um, while he was coaching multiple teams to help him when he had conflicts. I said, sure. So I started for a whopping $200 a month <laughs> and uh, I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it to help a friend out, a buddy out and uh, to learn. I love the game and 
at that time, I thought I was going to be a player that was going to play professionally for a long period of time. Reality struck me at 23, 24 years old. And I said, you know, I'm not going to make a lot of money doing this. So Junior Gonzalez got the head coaching job at UC Riverside. And he called me and said, hey, I got this program. You want to move back home and be my assistant coach. And I'm going to help you become a better coach. And I want you to train our defenders on how to play. And you jump in and play because I was still fit to play at that time. So I would jump into practice and play with the guys. And uh, that's where I met John Hunt from Rowdies. Was there and uh, had a great time. Really enjoyed it. Learned a ton started to go through my U.S. soccer coaching courses and fell in love with it. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. It's, it's amazing how it all turns around. I mean, it's, you don't miss the Utah winners anymore? Is, is that what you're trying to, you know, tell us I here? I don't miss that. For a matter of fact, I talked to some people the other day and asked them about the weather, and I, I told them, you know, I, I, I'm so jealous because I'm sitting here in California and it's 72 degrees. <laughs> I'm sure they felt really sorry for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So during your time at that, when you were at UC Riverside, you were also the director of coaching at Arsenal FC Boys, right? I was. It was an interesting thing. So I moved home first and got the job at Riverside, and I was the director at a club called Apple Valley Storm. Um, so I was there first, and that's where I first met a player named Aaron Long. Um, oh, wow. I coached him, and I coached him for four years at Apple Valley, and then I got the job – at Arsenal to be the director there. And my first move was to bring Aaron Long down to Arsenal. And then, uh, so I coached Aaron for about six, seven years. Um, great kid, great family. His sister was a hell of a player, Lexi Long also. And so, um, yeah, I was coaching there. And then I came in down to Arsenal because it was more local. The club I grew up with, PJ Brown, who's the director there, played with me at Azusa Pacific. So we had a relationship it all kind of came together and it became a breeding ground for players to go to UC Riverside like Aaron Long did. Wow. Wow. So then I got to ask you this, cause you've obviously been with the development academies. You've been, you were, you were in college. The MLS just recently did the MLS next program. How do you think the changes are going to impact the way, you know, academies are going to work in North America? I'm interested to see um, because the jury's still out. We don't know how that league's going to work. The DA, the development academy, the U.S. soccer was running. I was a huge fan. Of. I was in it since 2006. So I basically was in it from the first year. And I think after 10 years, we started to see the players we're producing. If you look at our men's national team and the players we got and where they're at, those are all products of the work we've put in through the youth academy. So I was very disappointed that U.S. soccer decided to move away from that. And now there's a big question mark on where it goes. Is it in ECNL? Is it the MLS next? Um, I think, you know, obviously COVID is having a hit on all of those leagues and the development of what's going on. But we can't argue with what the U.S. Developmental Academy did because look at these players that we're pitting out, like Tyler Adams and Josh Sargent and Pulisic and Reyna and, you know, McKinney, I mean, it goes on and on. Wea, all these kids, I mean, Giannis, we're putting in some very good players that are even Efra, Alvarez, you know. Yeah. Kids are great young talents that LAFC is wreaking the benefits of it with Christian Torres. Sure. Absolutely. I hope we can figure it out and hopefully 
MLS Next is the answer, and we're moving forward. Does it even make sense these days for a kid to even try to go out for his varsity high school team when you've got these type of academy structures in place? I do think there's a, there's a space for that. Just like I also think there's a space for college soccer mm-hmm. because I don't think everybody is in that top percentile. So I do think the Jordan Morrisons are still going to happen where they go and they graduate from Stanford and still have a chance to have a good MLS career. But the ones that we're looking at to be difference makers on our men's national team and go play in Europe, those are the ones we got to nab early and get them in the environment to where they're either in an MLS club or they're overseas or earlier. And those are the pool of six of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I no doubt. I mean, it's got to be so exciting to mold a player, you know, from a young age and then see them go on to do something on such a grand scale like over overseas in Europe. It's got to be a lot of fun to see that happen, you know, if you had a hand in their development, I would assume. So um, I want to segue that into my next question, which is, as a head coach, what gives you the most joy or fulfillment? Well, you know, for me, I'm competitive. I'm competitive, so I can't play anymore. Um, my golf game is not great. <laughs> this, we share that in common. <laughs> this is where I get to compete. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever seen me coach, whether it be at the youth level or at the senior level, I love winning, and I love the process. So I think through this whole COVID thing, the hardest thing for me is not having games on the weekend because normally my weeks are built around watching film, building tactical sessions, having meetings, getting down to the nitty gritty so that we can perform on Saturday and then either enjoying your victory or sulking in your defeat and figuring out what went wrong and what went right and moving on to the next week. So I think that's, but that's what ticks. That's what makes me tick. And to see players develop like on the Fury, Jesus Pacheco, kid came in, Nobody knew of him. He was, you know, a lot of people didn't think he was going to be anything. He's a slight player, got some technical ability. They didn't think he would work out in this league. And then to watch him develop, help him develop, teach him some things, and then see him flourish, that's what it's about. And then guys like Adrian Perez. You bring him in when nobody's giving him a shot. You give him a platform. You show him a couple things. You encourage him to work hard. Now he's up in the MLS living a dream. Absolutely. (laughs) There's a mantra that we all, you know, wish to aspire to, and that's do something you're absolutely passionate about and you'll never work a day in your life. And in your case, I think it's safe to say that your role within the beautiful game, that you basically lived out that statement, right? 100%. I've never worked a day in my life. (laughs) Lucky. I know. I I mean, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do love what I do. But yeah, I mean, there's something to to what you've done. I mean, you've played it. You've lived it. it. It's been a part of your life probably from, you know, very, very young age. And yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. I wasn't performing or in surgeries when I was like five or six years old. So I can't, can't really relate to that. But well, that's good that they didn't put a five or six year old in surgery with a knife. That makes me feel really safe. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, on that note. Um, so with all the education that you've had, everything you've seen, how difficult was it transitioning from doing 11 v 11 outdoors to six v six indoors? It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, And I think my philosophy has always been it's a collaboration. 
So I leaned on our ex-GM president coach, Bernie, a lot to show me some tactics and some stuff like that. Um, I listened a lot. I watched a lot of games. Um, and ultimately, I listened to the players and I brought players into meetings and I sat on, on the bench with Bernie before I took the job um, to try to figure it out. But being on the bench during an indoor game is insane. <laughs> it is absolutely insane with the line changes, the way the guys are talking and all that type of stuff. So we had a complete culture change with the way we handled things um, because I needed to have some control um, of stuff. And, and I think the biggest help for me was bringing in guys like Chris Toth, who, who was tremendous with us and knew everything um, in the back and organizing the defense. Jeff Hughes, who's been around the game and done it all, an MVP of the league and an older veteran. Um, Evan McNeely was great in helping out when he was here. And then ultimately bringing in the LeBron James of indoor soccer and Frank Taillou. <laughs> because he's been very instrumental in what we're doing. So Frank and Uzi and I will go out and have lunch and we'll talk soccer all day about tactics, about formations, about times and places and systems and things to implement. And I'm, I just listened to them and they got some really good soccer brains and uh, we take what we want. And then I use my coaching staff with Kevin and LeBaron and say, Hey, what do you guys think? What, what are we going to do? And ultimately it's my decision at the end, but they put their influence in and we decide on what's best for the uh, Fury. The, the learning curve was quick and uh, I still make errors. Not going to lie about that. Last year I had Mike Hall in, in the game with four fouls in the fourth quarter and the ball popped up and hit his hand and that's a foul. So he got a blue card. We could have lost the game. Luckily the guys rallied behind me and we won the game, but it's, the, it's something I learned. So the tactic, I mean, obviously tactics differ. I mean, the game is so fast paced and, and I know we're going to be bringing in a lot of listeners that obviously have the experience and the knowledge watching the game outdoors let's take a simple format well not a simple but let's take a formation they use outdoors and let's if we can just i get transform it into the world of indoor like what would the equivalent of a 4-3-3 be for example yeah i mean i think for us in the indoor game we probably play what's i would say similar to like a 4-4-2 because we play with two defenders two midfielders one forward so 4-4-2 Two, two, one, if that makes sense. Um, but we try not to pigeonhole these guys in positions. We try to play fluidly. So a guy like Izzy, I expect him to get forward and get goals and get shots on goal and unbalanced teams and let's go. So for me, it's more about a numbers game. It's a chess match. How can I get a 3v2 over here or a 2v1 there? Or how can we unbalance teams? And get them there. And then defensively, how can we get behind the ball? So our rule of thumb is as soon as we win it or as soon as we lose it, get behind the ball. No matter where you are, just get behind the ball and then we'll sort it out from there. And so on the tactic side of stuff, it was interesting because indoor is all man on man. The only time you play zone is during a power a penalty kill. Mm-hmm. So passing players, you really only pass players – north and south, not east and west. 
Or in the outdoor game, you pass players all over the place. So that was, that was a good learning tool for me to figure out that in the communication. But, uh, yeah, I would say similar would be a 4-4-2. Nice. So we know the tactics are a little bit different and obviously the environment. Is there anything you would say about training that the players experience that might be a little different as opposed to outdoor soccer players? Yeah, big emphasis on fitness. Fitness. It, it, and it's a different type of fitness. So in the indoor game, it's like drinking water from a fire hose. Like you just go on and you go as hard as you can. And the rule of thumb is attack, defend, get off. Because <laughs> on a sub when we have possession. So you never sub defensively. So as soon as we get the ball and we're going for that second time, get off the field. And so it's just sprints. So really, like, our, our, our performance coach, Matt, is great. He's the, he runs the gym at the YMCA in Upland. He's like, I've told Matt, sprints, 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 movements within the sprints, hammer. You know? So that was a big adjustment to me. And the training sessions aren't as long because – in our game, there's a lot of stoppages. The ball goes out of bounds. There's timeouts. There's quarters, you know, and, and, and your line changes are so quick. So you may run in threes where every third minute, fourth minute, they get on for a minute, you know. So <clears throat> they get a little bit more rest. You know, I think we need to uh, come in and talk to them about getting in on a training session ourselves. you know. Well, how much fun would that be? We're pretty active, you know. I mean, I've run six marathons. <laughs> but, you know, I, yep. that would be fun. What? Are you, why are you looking at me like that? I mean, I'm fine with running a marathon, but I tore my hamstring playing kickball. I'm not trying to sprint. <laughs> that, that is true. So, uh, All right. Well, maybe you'll sit this one out. But I think that would be so much fun to be put through, like, a fun little, like, five-minute training session. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch. I'll, I'll hand you the water from time to time. I need to work on my golf game. We were talking about golf earlier. My handicap is I play like I'm handicapped. That I could work on without tearing my knee. He's not great. <laughs> I usually beat him. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll switch gears again here. Now, who has or who have been some of the most talented players that you have had the privilege of coaching? Oh, man. That <laughs> One. Obviously, Aaron Long was, was a good one. Um, Matthew Hoppy, who I coached, just got his first start this weekend for Schalke. Mm. So oh, cool. Huge. Yeah, he was a good one. Um, Efren Alvarez from Galaxy was another good one. Um, man. <laughs> Sounds like well, there's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's another one, Harold Hansen, that's up at Portland Timbers with the twos. That was a really good one. Diego Lopez was with us, and then he went to Atlanta United. Um, so he's a good one with the twos over there. Yeah, I'd say those, those guys are, are some of the most talented ones. There's, there's one that uh, is very talented that I'm actually bringing into the Fury mm. with Efra. Okay. Um, is Frankie Frankie Gonzalez and came to tryouts did really well I invited him to training camp so we'll see how his game transitions to the indoor game but I'm a huge fan of his so and I gotta say without saying anything else I think Adrian Perez is one of the most talented players I've ever coached and, and 
I can't say without Frank and Chris Toth as well. Two very talented players. Cool. You pretty much like going right into the question I, I was about to ask you. You work with two players' names who are on the LAFC roster. You mentioned one right now. What about the other one? Christian Torres? You got it. Talk <laughs> to us about player. him. Very good player. So Christian started with us when he was nine years old and played with us until he was 12, 13, then went to LA Galaxy. Um, and then decided to make the move to LAFC's academy um, and did very well. And Bob is a very forward-thinking coach. And, you know, he's really good at what he does and saw some, some talent in Christian. And so during COVID, I was out at the park doing some personal trainings and I had my son out there and I saw Christian training with his dad. I said, what are you doing? So I was just trying to get some work in. I'm like, come over here. So then, you know, I started – just working with them, and, and we kept kept in touch and worked with them for probably six, seven months again just to keep him fit, keep him touching the ball. And I'm just excited for the kid. He literally lives a half a mile away from my house. I all the time. I remember him coming to my house and getting candy on the wing, you know. So he's just a really good kid, really good family, and I'm excited for him. We, we all lost since, obviously, we're, we're LAFC fans. We mentioned that on the last pod. We went absolutely insane when he got his first goal against Portland towards the end of the MLS season. Where Everybody within the black and gold community is so hyped about Christian Torres. I mean, he became the first, for, uh, he, the youngest player in league history to start a playoff game. I mean, unbelievable accolade and a testament to, like, the work you've done with him as well. So, as an LAFC fan, i got to say thank you for that. <laughs> Of course. So let's actually get into the Fury now. Now, 2017-2018 season, you take over as Gaffer. Bernie, as you mentioned, steps down. Now, you have the keys to this brand-new Chevrolet. And at the time, it was a Mark Christopher Chevrolet, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Another plug-in. See, you did the Rowdies thing. I had to do that. How excited were you, and how was that season experience for you? That was awesome. It was very exciting. It was my first professional coaching season. Um, so didn't, you know, pretty green coming into it. Had worked with U19 academy teams and obviously division one college teams, but never with the senior level team. So we had gone extremely young on that team. My con de Abreu, I think was 18. You know, we had Douglas Lima was 18. So we had some extremely young kids. We had a keeper that was a first-year indoor guy. And we just came out and we said, you know what? We're not going to play this beautiful game. We're going to play heavy metal, rock and roll, (laughs) soccer. Like, we're going to win games 12 to 10, and let's just go. And with Tino as our striker and stuff like that, and we did. We won our first couple games, and then reality set in. And, you know, we kind of ended up middle of the row, missed the playoffs by two games, I believe. But it was fun, man. And we were exciting to watch because any day we could put 14 goals on you, but we could also give up 14 goals. (laughs) So it was great for me. I had a blast. (laughs) So you even had time. uh, You even got to spend some time with Jermaine Jones. You got to coach him. Uh, what was it like having somebody of his talent and caliber? And did you have to act differently around him for some of the other guys on the team? No, it was, um, he was a pleasure. He was a pleasure. So he came in and 
he was a, a huge need for us because Adrian Perez left. We couldn't score a goal to save our lives. Um, we could defend, but we, we were losing games like literally 4-3. And it was like, oh, my God, 3-2. to And I'm like, so we get Jermaine. He comes into the locker room and is fits in like a glove. Befriends the guys, puts no ego, very simple to coach, listens to instructions from me and the coaching staff, talking to other guys after practice, before practice about what to do, and came in and absolutely lit the league on fire. Lit the league on fire. So um, he was a joy. He was a privilege to coach. He broke the game down in the simplest form and made it real easy um, to understand. And, and, and he was a lot of fun, and he was great for our organization. Well, such an exciting league, clearly. I have to ask this question. How disappointed were you when the MASL season was canceled? Man, that was a tough one because it, it was like literally I'm at practice and I get a text, NBA canceled season. Mm-hmm. And then it's like MOS. And I'm like, uh-oh, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Sure enough, we had a game that Friday and canceled. And we were the hottest team in the league by a mile. And we were the best show on turf. Um, and we were – so we had been to the playoffs before. But I felt like – and I was the assistant coach at that time, that we were just there to – we just got invited to the dance. But I felt like this year we were ready to do some damage. We were going to win it. That's what I thought. So I was like, okay, we're prepped. We're ready to go. We're hitting on all cylinders. We're peaking at the right moment. We're coming to raise that Newman trophy, and we're bringing it home. <laughs> no, I was just very disappointed. Sorry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that that disappointment of missing the playoffs through obviously no fault of yours, but obviously the whole world, do you think that's motivated the Fury to break hearts and set trends league-wide for this next season? I think what it was, it was a warning shot to the rest of the league that we're here and we're here for business. And uh, two is that there's some unfinished business that we have to, uh, to get done. Absolutely. I think it's funny. We're talking about the game that got canceled. I think that was, we were supposed to go to that game. I mean, as everything was getting canceled, we were just thinking, well, they're still on the schedule. They're still on the schedule. We can still go to this game. And then it got canceled. So, you know, we felt a tiny little bit of the disappointment. I'm sure you all felt as well. So yeah, I think we're all looking forward to seeing exactly, you know, how, motivated and how fiery this team comes out, you know, to kind of, like you said, finish what they had started for this past season. <laughs> Bearing that in mind, who's going to be, who do you think is poised to have a breakout season? On our team? I would say, oh, man. Well, Jesus Pacheco, I don't know if you could say it's a breakout season. He was in the top five for rookie of the year last year. But I think, in my opinion, there's two players on our team that are very talented, and I don't think the league gives them enough credit. And one of them is a player that's been at the Fury since we started, and that's Charlie, Charlie Gonzalez. He is our midfielder that runs the show. He's our, he's our 10. He's our engine. He does everything in the midfield. He's so clever with the ball. Every year I see him getting better and better. So I'm just waiting for him to have a year where he gets 
30 goals, 30 assists. And that's what I think this year can be because when you got this mammoth forward that just bangs in goals for fun, everybody <laughs> on Charlie, right? So you got that. And then we got this other young player named Justin Stenson that we got in from St. Saint Louis. And he is um, – his ball mastery and his skill work with the ball are very good. So if we can get him in the right areas to go one-on-one with players – he's going to score a lot of goals. And I think last year was him figuring out how we wanted to play. Now he understands it. So now it's time to make that wheel spin a bit faster. All right. Well, yeah, expanding on that, what are your expectations and what does this team need to improve upon in order to not only take this league by storm, but to bring the Ron Newman trophy to Toyota arena? I think our biggest thing is buy-in. You know, that's – I think we have all the talent that we need. We have all the talent. I think the locker room is a precious, precious item. Um, so when our locker room's good and our chemistry's good and the guys are bought into doing what we have to do and really believing in that 1.5 rule, um, that makes all the difference in the world. Fantastic. So when all this is said and done, Jimmy – and the Fury lift the trophy, and you win Coach of the Year, Fury faithful, remember, you heard it on Striking Fury with Philly in the panel first. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jimmy, we got a few rapid-fire questions for you before we end this pod. Are you ready for our lightning round, our inaugural lightning round? Yes. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Favorite MLS team? LA Galaxy. Who's your favorite player to watch currently? Hmm. Tough one. I would say probably Carlos Vela. Hey, all right. I like that. <laughs> Best win in your coaching career? San Diego Soccer's at home last season. Mm, what's your toughest loss? San Diego Soccer <laughs> in San Diego in overtime on an own goal. Oh. I, think this, I think I might have the answer for this one, but tough, toughest team in the league. Well, our rival is the Soccers, but I think the best team in the league is Monterey, Mexico, outside of this year coming up. This year, I would say San Diego Soccers. So team that you hate the most in the MASL, and even in football, if you want to go ahead and expand on that, you can. Well, obviously, San Diego Soccers are our rivals, so I don't have any love lost for those guys. For sure. Um, team I don't like in the world would be Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go hide in my corner. I don't know if he sees the, the, the frame of old Trafford in the background. Uh, <laughs> oh no, no, that's not there. <laughs> it's not Tottenham, believe it or not. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely no Spurs. All right, team outside of this country that you would love to manage. Well, Arsenal. Absolutely. Okay. I'm good with that. All right. I totally dig this next one, by the way. This is a big one. It's important. So Hope you're right. who wins in a bar fight, you or Stryker? <laughs> Definitely Stryker. <laughs> Definitely Stryker. Give it to him. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. I love Stryker. Uh, Stryker. I mean, the name of the pod is based on his name anyway. So shout out to Stryker if you're listening. We know you're a big fan of the pod. Right. Um, all right, final question. Who's the GOAT, Pele or Maradona? Pele. All right. 
You don't score a thousand goals without being called the greatest of all times. I, I can't disagree with, uh, with that statement. <laughs> Not at all. Jimmy, we thank you. We really appreciate the time that you took to be on the pod. We're really looking forward to having you throughout the season. And if you want, we'd love to create a segment just for you called State of the Fury, if you're ever up for it. Would love to. I'd love to reach out to the fans as much as we possibly can and bring brand awareness and talk with you guys and chop it up as much as we possibly can. Awesome. What is one final thing that you want to let the Fury faithful and the Fury fanatics know? What can they expect? Give us, give us a pep talk, Coach. <laughs> Listen, we are working our hardest to make sure that we can play home games so you guys get to see these guys on turf and see the best show on turf in this league. We are getting our guys out in the community to see the little ones, to get out to appearances as much as we possibly can. We are still here. We are committed to this community. We are committed to this league. And most importantly, we are committed to winning. So everything we're doing this year is to bring that Newman Trophy home and to raise some, some, some uh, banners in, that, in, in those rafters in the Toyota Arena. I love it. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Fury Faithful. Thank you for lending us your ears. We really hope you enjoyed episode two of Striking Fury with Philly and the Panda and Coach Jimmy Nordberg. And we're going to end this show the way we're going to end it from here on out. Strike hard. Strike Fury. No No mercy. mercy. (laughs) It's so hard to do on Zoom. Ontario.